Hallelel is a Hebrew word for praise. So this is a praise song for the, uh, the Egyptians, uh, the Egyptians' praise song. And that is this. Not all of them speak directly to God delivering Israel out of Egypt. Certainly 114 does. But they all speak of God delivering in some way. And so they were tied together. And the Jews would sing these at three of their festivals, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. And so Jesus would have sung this psalm. And even as we think about even some of their order, he would have sung this psalm the night before his crucifixion. 113, 114 was sung before the Passover meal, 15 through 18 sung after the Passover meal. And just turn to Psalm 118 and look in verse 22. Psalm 118, verse 22. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. What was he about to do? He was about to be rejected by his people and go to the cross. But yet, in God's plan, the stone that was rejected would become the chief cornerstone. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone, the foundation of the church. And this is marvelous. This is God's plan. And what? This is the day the Lord has made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. Jesus wasn't looking out at a beautiful autumn day and saying, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us be glad and rejoice in it. He was looking forward, looking, anticipating the cross and saying, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us be glad and rejoice in it as he fulfilled God's plan for his life. I think that gives us a poignant understanding of some of these Psalms and think about how they were lived out in the life of Israel there But these are expressions of trust, and not just individual, but corporate, but also admonitions to praise the Lord. When we say praise the Lord, we're saying that for ourselves, but we're also admonishing, encouraging others to praise the Lord as well, because the Lord deserves our praise. We're going to look at why he deserves our praise here. Three reasons from this psalm today, three reasons why he deserves our praise uh, and it, look, one more thing here. Praise the Lord, O servants of the Lord. Perhaps it is talking about those who served in the temple for Israel, or probably more generally just the nation of Israel called servants of the Lord. We look at it, God has saved us to serve. And so we are his servants. And so it is fitting for us to praise the Lord with our lives. So why should we praise the Lord? Because his name is great. I want to go ahead and read this psalm now, Psalm 113. Praise the Lord, which you all know now means hallelujah. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who dwells on high, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth? He raises the poor out of the dust and lifts the needy out of the ash heap, that he may seat him with princes, with the princes of his people. He grants the barren woman a home, like a joyful mother of children, praise the Lord. 
So the psalm ends as it has begun with that admonition, instruction to praise the Lord. So this psalm is a psalm of praise, how the Lord deserves praise. Why? First of all, his name is great. Look at the mention of that in verses 1, 2, and 3. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. At the end of verse 3, the Lord's name is to be praised. A name stands for a person. And so when we're thinking about praising the name of the Lord, we're thinking about praising the person, who he is in his attributes, in his glory, in his splendor. This is the name, the personal name of God. The Jews would not say that, and so that's part of why we're not quite sure if it was Yahweh or Jehovah. Now, they just inserted the name Lord there, and in, your, in most translations, all caps, there is Lord, the personal name of God. I think that's really helpful to identify there. Who is God? He is Jehovah or Yahweh, the, the personal God. This, this is his personal name. He is the God of the Jews. And so they're praising his name. Why? Because his name stands for his character, stands for his attributes, as God has revealed himself to the nation of Israel and to us. When parents go to name their baby, they're drawn to certain names, and they're saying, no, no, not that name. They mention a name one of them may like, and you're like, oh, wait, that, that's that third-grade boy who was really mean to me. Their names have association, right? Uh, either a good connotation or association or a, ooh, no, or maybe they just don't like the name. Names represent people, who they are. And the name of the Lord represents God, who he is in his greatness and glory. And this is why it is so important that we grow in our understanding of who God is. A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. When you think of God, when you praise his name, what are you thinking about? What are you declaring about him? If we have the wrong view of God, we're not going to be drawn to praise him. There's, there's many things we could talk about and even think about, say, say God's sometimes seen as the, the judge, the harsh judge in the sky, or he's the doting old grandfather, or he's the God who really is loving and kind but can't really do much for you. Uh, these may be extremes, but the point is this. If you have the, uh, the wrong view of God, you're not going to be drawn to praising him. But as your view of God is clarified and continually instructed by the word of God, that will lead you to praise him because you're thinking about him and not just in a small, narrow way. Uh, I have a book in my office, Your God is Too Small. And sometimes that's with us. Our God is too small. We've brought him down to how we think about him and, and our human understanding instead of who he is in his greatness and glory. When we grasp him in his greatness and glory, then we are drawn to praise him for who he is. This psalm says, verse 2, I'm going to bless the, praise the name of the Lord from the, this time forth and forevermore. Starting now, I'm going to praise the Lord. And when? Forever. I'm going to keep praising the Lord. This is what is going to be true of me. God deserves praise all of the time, and he deserves praise in every place. 
from the rising of the sun so in the east until the setting of the sun in the west. No matter where you are, all encompassing, God deserves praise. Praise of the Lord should never stop. No matter, even if some are sleeping, some in other parts of the world are awake, and God deserves praise no matter what place it is. So God, his name deserves praise. That's why we should praise him. We should praise him at all time, and we should praise him at all people. I don't know about you, but some days are hard. Some weeks are hard. It's some ups and downs this past week is thinking through what's going on in our world, in our own individual lives. What does this psalm admonish and instruct us? That no matter the day, God still deserves praise. Because he never changes. And I need to look away from my circumstances, my own view of things, to who God is in his greatness and glory and give him the praise he deserves. We should praise the Lord because his name is great. Secondly, there is no one else like the Lord. Verse 4, Lord is high above all nations. This is more than just that he's up in the sky somewhere, but rather his throne is above every other nation. And his glory is above the heavens, the splendor that we see in the earth and in the sky. His glory is greater than that. With each nation, there's some sort of glory and splendor that is sought after, that is demanded. And God's glory surpasses them all. With the earth, we look at the things that God has made. And some of the songs we sang today, uh, challenging us to think about that. Uh, It points to the, the greatness of God, but yet God is so great, the earth can't even contain his splendor. The sky can't even contain his splendor. His glory is displayed. And verse 5, here's the, the key thought, who is like the Lord our God? Is there anyone else like him? Is there any other human like him? No. Is there any other God or false God like him? No. He is greater than all. This speaks of the transcendence of God, that he is high above his creation. He is so glorious and powerful that he, uh, no one else can be compared to him. And yet, God is not so far, so high and lofty that he is aloof from his creation because we see in verse 6, who humbles or looks down, he stoops down himself to behold what the things that are in the heavens and the earth. God who dwells high in the heavens looked down upon the earth and he sees what's going on. And we'll see in just a moment that he sees and he cares about what's going on. This speaks about his imminence, that he is present with his creation. Not, not so much in the condescending. Condescending is really looking down, oh, poor you. I'm glad I'm not like you. That's not the, the, the character and nature of God, but the imminence that he is He is great and glorious, but yet he is present with his creation there to help. He cares for them. Who is like the Lord our God? Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 40. When we are thinking about Scripture, it is helpful to look at other passages of Scripture that have similar ideas, similar words, that help us expand our thinking. 
Here we ask this question, who is like the Lord our God? He is high in the heavens, yet he cares about his creation. Here in Isaiah chapter 40, we see uh, these same truths taught for us. So Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven with a span, and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure? Weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. God, not, not that he has hands, but he can measure the waters of the earth. Now, who else can do that? He knows the distance of the heavens. He knows how much dust is on the earth. We, we don't like to think about how much dust is around us, right, in our homes. But God knows all that. He knows the weight of the mountains. Who has directed, verse 13, the spirit of the Lord, or as his counselor has taught him? With whom did he take counsel and who instructed him and taught him in the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Whoever gave God advice. God doesn't have an inner circle of friends that he goes to for counsel. What should I do in this situation? No. He is perfectly wise. He knows all things, and what he does is good and right, the path of justice and knowledge. Verse 15, behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket and are counted as the small dust on the scales. Look, he lifts up the aisles as a very little thing. Nations who think they are important, great, significant, are just like a drop of water in a bucket. To God. How much water, how many drops of water does it take to fill up a bucket? A lot, right? And this is the contrast to the nations and the glory and splendor that they think they have in contrast to God. He says, yeah, you think that's great, but it's just like a drop in the bucket to me. Lebanon, verse 16, is not sufficient to burn, nor the beast sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing. They are counted by him less than nothing and worthless. Lebanon was a place north of Israel known for its trees. You take all of the trees of Lebanon and all their animals, and that would not be enough for a fitting burnt offering for the Lord. That's how much he deserves. Nations. They think they're important, and they're nothing in God's sight. Verse 18, to whom then will you liken God? Have we seen something like this before? Psalm 113, who is like the Lord our God? To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to him? The workman molds an image. The goldsmith overspreads it with gold. And the silver casts silver chains Whoever is too impoverished for such a contribution chooses a tree that will not rot. He seeks for himself a skillful workman to prepare a carved image that will not totter. How can you make an image that will be like God? If you take gold or silver, it's not going to be fitting. This is what they would do to make idols, taking gold and silver and fashioning into something that a likeness of what they wanted their, their God, their idol to be. If they didn't have money for, for an idol like that, they would take a tree and then carve it to themselves, but what? It could topple over. 
Elsewhere in Isaiah, he points out the craziness of this, of taking wood to make an, an idol, and they use part of the tree to make an idol, and then what do you do with the rest? Use it as firewood. You made something. You burned the other half. This is of your own thinking. No God like that can ever compare to God. God is far greater than any imagination of a God that humans come up with. No likeness can fully depict who God is. Verse 21, have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Scarcely shall they be planted. Scarcely shall they be sown. Scarcely shall their stock take root in the earth when he will also blow on them and they will wither and the whirlwind shall take them away like stubble. Verse 25, to whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One. Have we not seen this phrase, this idea before? Who is like the Lord our God? No one. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. Who brings out their hosts by number, their stars by number. Who calls them all by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. We continue to learn about our universe, how many stars there are, how many galaxies there are. And what does it say here? He knows all their number. He knows the names of all the stars. Who is like the Lord our God? This shows us the transcendent nature and character of God. The next few verses show us that God is not so great and glorious that he doesn't care about his people, but he does. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my just claim is passed over by my God? Why do you say, God doesn't care about us? Have you not known? Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary, His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall rise up, mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint probably thought of those verses and know those verses, but setting them in their context of God who is transcendent, we're seeing God who is imminent. He cares about his creation. When you are weak, when you have a need, he is there for you. He cares for you. He will give strength to you. This is who our God is, our God who deserves our praise. There is no one else like him. If God was, we could say, normal, if God was like us, we wouldn't be drawn to praise him. 
The fact that he is far greater than us, but yet he also cares about us, is the reason why it makes us him worthy of our praise. He deserves our praise. There is no one else like the Lord, third reason. The Lord cares for the needy and hurting. Verse 7, he raises the poor out of the dust and lifts the needy out of the ash heap. So the poor and the needy, speaking of being in the dust and the ash heap, certainly when someone was mourning in biblical times, they would put dust on their head. So it's a sign of humiliation, a time of shame. Uh, The needy, uh, those who are trying to scrape out some sort of existence in the garbage pile, Uh, So these are those who are in in great poverty, those who are filled with shame. They're the outcasts. They're in great need of help. These are the ones that the Lord cares about. And what does he do in verse 8? That he may seat him with princes, with the princes of his people. So God lifts them up and, and cares for them. I think one example of this would be the story of Joseph where Joseph was humiliated. Joseph was put in prison without cause, without anything that he had done what was wrong. And he was there for years until the Lord delivered him from prison and then brought him to be second in command in Egypt. And Joseph was mighty among his people. And that shows us how God cares for those who are needy. How many times in the nation of Israel did they have a need. They cried out to God, and God heard them and rescued them. That is the nature and character of God. He also cares for those who, uh, the, the barren.